So welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson. And this is Christopher Harding. And we're going to dive into the topic of inclusion today. Last week we talked about resources. You sure you want to include this today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's, uh, for me, it's I'm, I'm going to share an aha that I had during our uh, breakfast gathering this morning. As we've said before, we meet with different uh, people from our business community and talk about topics today and our conversation today was really about the topic of responsibility right and we talked about the idea of what we call quantum responsibility that there's not just one scale that mm-hmm. has to be divided up with everybody taking some portion of it uh, but instead that there is each of us have our own scale and have the opportunity to see ourselves as fully responsible for our unique role right and as we were having that conversation, one of our uh, colleagues there, Eric, brought up this really interesting connection between inclusion and a group being able to better take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a, an, an interesting association. Um, not that we haven't made that association before, but just in hearing him describe it, somehow my synapses mm-hmm. uh, wired uh, together and, and I had a little bit of an epiphany of how important it is if we're looking for a group to perform at their best for us to truly truly be inclusive in terms of how we involve them. So, Well, I felt the same thing. It was quite a, a watershed moment in there amazing conversation this morning and they're always good Um, and I realized that a lot of uh, work say work that you do with organizations and some that I do with individuals is remedial like we're correcting problems so the focus is on getting people to be responsible right (laughs) but what we were getting into was the territory of well when we all are then what is the group responsibility? And it gets into a whole other dimension where it's not fixing a problem, but it's activating a resource. Right, right. Yeah, and, and taking a look at how can we augment or optimize our power and intelligence together. And, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting place is, is that if we assume that we are desirous and maybe increasingly willing to see ourselves as owners of the outcomes we create together, Mm -hmm. then how do we best go about creating the best outcome? Yeah, it gets into what uh, we enjoy, which is creativity. You know, you think about what what is it that makes it enjoyable to get to work? You know, when you're working with a team closely together, and I think for most of it is that sense of freedom to contribute and to feedback and to create together. Uh, You know, some of us are more introverted, some are more extroverted, but there's something innate in all humans about collaborating. You know, we're social animals. And if we can be in a workplace where innovation's encouraged and also uh, regulations are respected, but everybody is included in the moment. I'm not talking about a generic theory. Right. Because it can be that. We're inclusive here. Well, in the moment, are we really? You know, when what sounds like a crazy idea is uh, is surfaced, do we actually entertain it or do we discard it because it doesn't fit within our parameters for where we think we should be going? Right. And and uh, it was actually part of the conversation today is there are there are people who have more of a tendency toward constancy mm-hmm. and uh, standardization. Mm-hmm. 
and there are people who have more of a tendency towards innovation mm -hmm. and breaking the mold, so to speak. There's a place for both, right. and there's a time for each. And so, you know, recognizing the value that each one has and starting to train ourselves and others as to, you know, how, how do we navigate that together is, is part of being inclusive. And and part of what, what he brought up, and we had been talking about Toyota and how sometimes lean and, and Kaizen gets misapplied right. in Western culture because we tend to become so individualistic about it that we forget that it was invented in a group culture, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so the the whole idea, just what I learned from the time I spent, uh, you know, interacting with Toyota as a consultant was how intrinsic inclusion was mm. in their culture. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, uh, if you were going to set out to come up with an idea or innovate on a process, you you maybe had a, an aha, you maybe had a spark of, of invention or innovation, but what you would immediately then do is start to think of who are all the people who are going to be impacted by this as it gets implemented, who mm -hmm. will have a hand in implementing it, mm -hmm. who is it that's maybe even a layer beyond that will mm -hmm. be impacted in ways we don't know. And I'd start going around if I were in that process and touching base and involving people very early on in the process mm -hmm. of shaping the idea and f more fully so that by the time the idea started to actually take some kind of form, that, and this is what Eric was talking about, there's this sense of group ownership right. and pride right. in the development of this thing that we are all creating together. Yeah, well, what you're clearly describing is where inclusion is embedded in the culture. It's it's much more than an attitude. You know, right. Like a, we're inclusive here. Well, no, it's a pillar in the structure of the actual organization so that it isn't an afterthought. It isn't something we should be doing. It's something integral to the actual operations, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you said it perfectly. And, and Huge difference. Yeah, there. it's a lot of times I think, uh, you know, because we tend in the Western part of the world to be uh, more individualistic, inclusion is something we have to learn how to do. Right. Um, I think in other parts of the world um, that are very group-oriented and, and extremely inclusive, sometimes individualism is something they have to learn how to do so that they can better innovate. So, yeah. you know, there's two sides of that. But as we look at inclusion, you know, it's it's interesting just to notice for each one of us, where are we on the inclusion continuum? What is our tendency? Well, and also to get... Um kind of subtle about it, but this is quite revealing. As we consider inclusion, what's our attitude about those we're considering inclusion with? <laughs> it's it's kind of subtle, but here's an example. Last last night I was doing a short presentation with a men's group that I've been part of, and great guys. These are elder men. And I had... Uh, over 30, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> over 50 in that circle. And there were 30 of us or so there. And I had been given a short chunk of time to talk about a mentorship program that I've been dreaming up and would like to develop. And so I floated the idea briefly, and then there was some back-and-forth discussion. And then I kind of landed my punchline, which was I said, well, I have no idea how this might shape up, but I'm pretty sure that the facilitation should be done by women. 
<laughs> this is in a men's group. It's in a men's group that is very male. Right, right. And so I was curious about how this idea would go over. And frankly, I was pretty nervous that, I, in fact, I told a few friends I was expecting some pushback. Well, there was a moment of cognitive um, disassociation or Dissonance. conflict there because <laughs> yeah. they loved the idea. And it was like, one by one, these guys were going, well, that's a cool idea. And one man put up his hand. He said, well, in May, I'm going to an event called the Noble Man, which is training men to be mentors, and it's all facilitated by women. And so my expectation was the opposite of what actually happened. That's interesting. And I had to acknowledge that I hadn't been very inclusive <laughs> in my attitude about what these guys might do, because I have some history with them, and you know I was expecting a certain standard response. And lo and behold, it was completely different. Well, that's that's uh, it's it's funny how we we have our own pre-programmed biases, yeah. right? That we that we operate from, and I think you know when we look at inclusion in general, um, one of the seemingly most prominent obstacles is unconscious bias right uh that can take a whole variety of forms it could be unconsciously biased because i have a personality conflict with somebody it could be unconscious bias because i'm have some societal bias that's uh having me be brain blind we've talked about yeah. that before to yeah. somebody's potential or capability it's always interesting when we use the inclusion continuum, and, and if you're not familiar with that term, what we do is we look at a continuum that goes from just like me mm -hmm. to very different. Right. And start to look at the tendency, just like me might be in my same team, it might be all men, as you were talking mm -hmm. about it, or women, whatever the case might be, it might be all engineers, whatever the similarity, the primary similarity is that we share, and then starting to look out across the continuum saying, who else do we want to involve that, first of all, are going to give us perspectives along the continuum of how this thing is going to roll out, mm -hmm. but also who will be looking at it differently than I will. And just to notice when I start to think of people, my tendency will be to say, well, yeah, they're in a different department, but we think alike. Yeah. And that's the person right. I'm going to want right. to go to right. versus so, they're yeah. in a different department. Yeah. And I, they always think differently than I do, mm -hmm. and, and, and it annoys me. Yeah, well, you're reminding me of an old cartoon by Ashley Brilliant, who uh, I think he was in Santa Barbara, and he had this series called Pot Shots, just one-frame cartoons. And the one I remember is this... Uh, this guy is saying to, uh, I think it was his wife or a friend, he said, the fact that I've accepted you as you are doesn't mean that I've given up hope you might not still change. <laughs> and it's, it's actually very germane to this conversation because what is our actual attitude relative to inclusion? I was coming up, as I often do, with a um, spectrum relative to attitude with uh, with people and uh, oddly it's seven categories that seems to be the number i usually come up with when i daydream like this all the way from killing someone because they're so different and they're so objectionable that our only response is to get rid of them physically so uh, killing them second would be hating them so we just hate them we're not going to kill them but we hate them then fixing them they're too different. We need to fix them. Conversion therapy, etc. Missionary attitudes about conversion, all that. Then the next one, which I think is a very interesting one, is tolerating them. Right. They're different. 
I'm respecting the differences and I'm tolerating them. But, you know, your heart's not really in that. Then the next one, accepting them. Okay, now I've gone a little step further. I'm accepting the differences. And then we get to what we talk about in our course as the power of the L word, loving them. Actually loving them. You know, I love that we're different. I love working together. I love our differences. And that's six. And I think that's kind of as far as it goes in most people's experience to getting to where we can love working together and including uh, otherness. The final step for me is where the other idea disappears. And it's not loving them, it's loving us. Right. That right. really the separation between me and others has dissolved. And I'm not having a reference of we're different and we should include each other. It's just I'm swimming in a sea of uniqueness. Everything is different. There is no other. We're all connected in this symbiotic relationship. And isn't it going to be interesting to see what we do together? Well, yeah. And as you're, you're talking about this issue of saying that, it was beautifully stated, by the way. I, and as you were describing it, I was just reflecting on uh, some of the hard-nosed leaders I've, mm. I've uh, worked with and, and how the, what their response <laughs> would have been. Because it it it, it feels kumbaya down yeah. on that end. It, sure. I mean, one could impose that that on it. But what we're always driving toward when we're working with a group around inclusion is part of what we say is how do we facilitate the genius of the group? Exactly. How do we optimize our group intelligence? Right. And so by the time we get to that place where uh, you know. We're, we're loving people. They feel our appreciation. They feel our uh, acknowledgement of their value and, and the, just the beauty of their, of, of their difference. Mm -hmm. And then moving to that next place, there is no them. Exactly. That's, that's what that's we what came up with in a, in, a, uh, in a brainstorming session with a group of leaders one time. It was a huge breakthrough mm -hmm. for the whole group mm -hmm. that what if we played this game uh -huh. as if there were no them? Yeah. No, you know, it, it completely changed it. If it's about us mm -hmm. and I care about what happens to you as well as what happens to me and you're doing the same thing, we're watching out for each other's yeah. interests. Yeah. We have, we have a, a, a mutual care for each other. Now, you know, even looking at that in a completely pragmatic standpoint, um, you know, taking the, the humanistic values out of that and just saying what's going to help us perform better mm -hmm. turns out that what you just described there is no them mm -hmm. is actually leads us typically to higher levels of performance yeah. and, and outcome uh chris howard a, a mentor that uh, i worked with uh, off and on for a few years referred to it as understanding the ecology of the situations we're in mm -hmm. and what he said was that you will know you're heading down a, a good path if the decision you're making is right for you, it's right for the other people immediately involved, and it's right for the the yeah. more you know the larger implications, whether it be the customer, the company, the community, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to be that brilliant. Yeah. We do maybe what's right for me. Yeah. It's a if, compromise is built in there. Yeah. Maybe I'm doing what's right for my boss or what's right yeah. for the customer, but not right for us. And, yeah. and forcing ourselves to, or holding ourselves accountable might be another way to say it, to create 
a solution that meets all those criteria. Yeah. Is well, you know uh, from your work in organizations that often the pressure to solve an urgent problem kind of sabotages that sort of deeper inquiry, and you get to a point where, well, damn it, we need to make a decision now. And so a compromise is forged, and often that doesn't turn out well. Well, you know, uh, yeah, truly. And I, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm flashing on the situation with the Boeing 737 MAX yeah. 8s uh, yeah. and 9s that have all been grounded now. Now, uh, you know, that was an appropriate action, at least in my standpoint. We don't know still mm-hmm. at this point in time whether there was actually a problem with the no. plane, whether it was pilot error, whether there was mm-hmm. sabotage. We don't know. But taking that stopgap measure right. so that we ensure that we do no harm. Well, it's interesting in the news, at least the way I read it, that the uh, the initial uh, suspension of those planes, I think, happened in Europe. Yeah. And Europe is well known for adopting the cautionary principle, not so much in America. This is where if there's doubt, if there's confusion, we're not sure what's going wrong, let's be cautious. Let's test. Let's not forge ahead and hope things don't go wrong. Right. So, and fortunately, now we're adopting that same principle here. Well, yeah, enough pressure. Could have done it a little earlier, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and again, we still don't know whether that was yeah. the long-term best decision or not. But I guess what I'm getting to is is when you're talking about uh, do we allow enough time to really tap into that bigger idea of inclusion mm-hmm. and what's good for us, what's good for others, and so on. A lot of times, the reason we don't, and I see this with teams, is they're trying to rush to the ultimate solution yeah. rather than a stopgap measure. Yeah. And if we give ourselves a little bit of time by saying, okay, let's make sure nothing bad happens mm-hmm. and you know, eliminate the possibility of harm or at least dramatically reduce it, and then take the time to figure out what's really going on. Right. Right. That allows us to get back to a place of inclusion. So it's it's like, you know, uh, in that moment, and we go over this with leaders a lot, <clears throat> as you know, there's a time to be inclusive and there's a time to take charge and make a decision. Well, exactly. And this can be so frustrating in decision-making. Um, consensus can just bog down everything because all you need is one person who doesn't agree and you're stopped. Now, you know, that's, and I love that you brought that up, because we both experienced this. That, at least in my experience, is a phenomenon of how consensus is done in the West. Mm-hmm. The reason being that because we are such an individualistic society, we feel entitled to hold up the entire yeah. group right. until they agree with me or I agree right. with them. Right. The way I've watched consensus happen, for example, in, in more Eastern cultures that are more consensus-based, is consensus is a process that happens way early on. Mm-hmm. I, I've used this term before. Nemowashi is what they call it in Toyota culture. And it's a Japanese word that means dig around the roots of the tree. Right. That I'm going to start to talk to people way early on so that I'm gaining intelligence as I go. I'm understanding the idea. Uh-huh. I'm getting their input. So that by the time I finally propose a solution... Mm-hmm. It's one that's already inclusive that everybody's yeah. had input on. So inclusion early. Yeah, from the get-go, yeah. Yeah. right? Then, you know, if there's disagreement, you know, it's listened to. Think of a tribal council, mm-hmm. you know, the different maybe even chiefs or, mm-hmm. or, you know, people who have a voice share their idea. And then the ultimate leader makes the decision. Right. right. 
And then, yeah. in a consensus-based culture, yeah. everybody goes along. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different uh, different cycle. Well, you're reminding me of sociocracy, which I believe came out of Sweden. It's a management system for decision making, etc. Often used in community building, and I've had limited experience with it. But what I love uh, about that system is that they advocate agreeing with a time limit for review. So let's say you have a situation where some decision needs to be made. Uh, nine people like it, one person doesn't. They'll say, well, to this one person, would you be willing to uh, go along with this for a month or six months? We'll review it to see how it's working. And often, in my experience anyway, that's enough. The person will go, well, okay, I, I don't think it's the best plan, but I'm willing to see how it works for a month. So just having that convention of a review at a certain particular time seems to allow what you call the stopgap measure to be instituted uh, in, in, and allow uh, a review of what's going on to see if it's actually the long-term solution. Right, and and that, that works beautifully. Uh as long as the there's been genuine consideration of the of the uh, points of view that don't agree right um, and that during that six month review process, two things are happening: the person who doesn't agree is trying to prove themselves wrong, mm -hmm. trying to see if they can make yeah. it work right and those who did agree are looking seriously to consider are there things that that person said that we weren't aware of that are actually happening well that is actually a shining a bright light on one of the problems that we have with uh, our misunderstanding of inclusion and diversity is that contrary viewpoints don't go away a person <laughs> right, may right. go along with something but they're in the team and they're grumbling and if they haven't really been heard and and uh, respected that's having an influence to sabotage what's going on right yeah there's there's something that uh, the term is malicious compliance yeah right, right. I, I will go along and I'm believing that this whole thing is flawed and therefore you know when leaks start to spring mm -hmm. in the system I'm going to stand back and go see yeah. I told you so yeah, you Rather, didn't listen to me now I'm right right yeah. and so you know if, if you look at inclusion we go back to responsibility tying those two things together again if we are creating the sense that we're in it together mm -hmm. and while I might not agree and still let's just assume that I don't agree and I'm right, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. the 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 process of going along with the group and trying to help guard against what I'm concerned about and bring it to people's attention ahead of time, not so that I can prove myself right and them wrong, but that the outcome we create together is a winning outcome. Well, you and I are both very uh, hopeful. We're optimistic. We tend to see what's right in people and in organizations, and there's a lot to celebrate, uh, including on the inclusion front. I think it's also important to acknowledge that there are forces at work in the world that are diminishing inclusion, and one of the most disturbing signs of this is the loss of diversity in our ecosystem, where you know our behavior, the way we create societies, how we produce goods, is resulting in the decimation of the ecology and the species loss 
at a rate that has never been experienced on the planet before. Some 2,000 species vanish every day, which right. is hard to comprehend. So this is the result of a certain behavior which discounts the diversity in the ecosystem. Well, let's go, let's go back to our the model that we uh, you know borrowed from Bill Guillory that we enjoy so much, the state of mind diagram, that my mindset drives my behavior, exactly. which creates the results. So yeah. you look at the result is we've got tremendous species loss. Mm -hmm. The behavior is we're doing things that completely disregard the impact we have on the right. ecology or environment. And the belief is those things don't matter. We're what matters. Mm -hmm. Our satisfaction is what matters. And, and, you know, consciously or unconsciously, that appears to be what's driving our behavior and creating that outcome. So let's, let's bring that now into whether it be the community setting or a family setting or a corporate setting. If the outcome is we are, let's say, losing people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of one of our corporate clients in the past. They were losing some of their top people who were considered diverse talent. Brilliant people who were leaving because they weren't being included. Right. And because they weren't being included, they weren't feeling valued. And the biggest thing for them is because I interviewed a lot of, of the people in that category. They weren't being utilized and therefore weren't getting the joy of contributing to the success of the yeah. organization. There you go. The mindset was nothing uh, overtly we don't value those people. It really was a complete ignorance or brain blindness yeah. that was taking place. Well, and the problem with this in a situation like that and also the larger one uh, relative to the world that I mentioned is that it's so seductive to focus on changing behaviors. This happened last night in this meeting I was at. Someone played a short video of a couple of activists, climate change activists, and they were reciting the litany of problems we're facing and then the reasons why we have these ecological problems. And the focus of both the video and the discussion that followed was how could we do things differently? We need to do different things. Well, true enough, but as you're saying, and as we always uh, uh, counsel, the mindset behind the actions is what needs to change. And it's so tempting to get stuck at that action level. Well, and here's, In fact, you can be really ridiculed if you, if you dare consider anything but that. People will say, we don't have time for philosophy. We've got to act now. This is an emergency. Right. Well, and, and again, stopgap measure, yeah, right? Right. It, it, that's, that's time to do one of those. Uh, they call that first order change, right? right? I'm going to do something right away to try to reduce the harm. Yeah. And then we're going to go to second order change, which, which deals with the mindset. So I remember uh, early coaching uh, on with, uh, with Bill Guillory. Uh, he was coaching me with a, a problem I was having with uh, somebody that I reported to. It was mm -hmm. the first real relationship I had with him. And I was describing this frustrating situation. And he said something to me that's <laughs> stuck with me to this day. <laughs> He said, I want you to consider the following axiom. The result bears out your intent. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, there's all kinds of parts of me that wants to argue with that, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but... Those but, guys but, did this. Uh, yeah, all these things I did that are yeah. in the behavior box. Yeah. And what he's suggesting, he said, now, I'm not saying that you've made yourself aware of your intent. Uh -huh, right. In other words, it's not necessarily conscious intent. 
it might be unconscious intent and brain blindness falls into that category i think part of what happens ecologically in in nature but also in our our communal structures organizations and so on is that we are unconscious of our disregard for the other or unconscious yeah. that the other even exists. Yeah, don't even see them. Yeah, we we were talking today in our in our group. Part of the conversation veered over into narcissism, mm-hmm. and the recognition I think for each of us to realize we have narcissistic tendencies. Yes, uh, and that means that we believe on some level that everything in life ought to be designed to serve us. Mm-hmm. Right, that would be a, a narcissistic tendency. So if I believe that, I'm not even considering the impact I have on other things or other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we would all like to think that we're not narcissists, and yet if we examine the way we show up in life, a lot of times during the day I'm approaching things very narcissistically, and it's, well, it's, it's tough to come to grips with. Well, it is uh, until we adopt a new habit, which, you know, eons ago was described this way, the unexamined life isn't worth living. And I think thriving, implicit in the thriving lifestyle, is constantly examining ourselves. So something shows up in the environment, it's in another person, it's in what's going on, Immediately, I can examine myself and see where's the correlates in me, because this is showing up not just as a problem to frustrate me, <laughs> being narcissistic about my success, but as a sign of something that's you know up for me to review. Right, as my grandmother used to see say, "What you see is what you are." Uh, well, fascinating conversation today. We're right out of time, so we better wind it up. Yeah. So if you have uh, ideas or experiences about uh, inclusion, write us at Thriving in Business and Life at Gmail dot com. I'm Christopher Harding, and I'm Will Wilkinson. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.